0: imperfection is the right thing to do. I think it's really important for them to see that life isn't all rainbows.
1: What's harder, parenting or being a CIA agent? Parenting by leaps and (laughs) bounds. Hey everyone, Lynn Smith here and welcome to another episode of Stroller Coaster, the podcast that takes you on the wild ride of parenting that we're all on together, created by Munchkin the most loved baby brand in the world. We have got a great show today. Today, we're gonna talk about resilience. First, I sit down with a former spy for the CIA. (laughs) That's right, that CIA, intriguing. And then we'll hear an amazing story of a young boy who shows us what resilience really means. And then I have an incredible interview with mom, author, and chief meteorologist for ABC News, Ginger Zee. And as always, if you stick around till the end, you might just win something. Here with me as always, Justin, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. Feeling resilient.
1: Today. <laughs> okay, good. You know, we recently went through this, a big move for our family where we were facing some challenges, you know, a big city to a mm. small town and conversations with my five-and-a-half-year-old who's missing family and friends. And I, I think that while it was such a challenge that I wanted to, in some cases, shelter him from, I've seen how going through meeting new people, getting adjusted to a new environment has made him a stronger five-and-a-half-year-old.
2: Wow, that's so great, Lynn, uh, your kids overcoming the move, proving their resilience, and bouncing back. Um, and my, my kids actually um, are dealing with something similar, bouncing back from um, another big life change. Not getting pancakes for breakfast this
1: morning. (laughs) Okay, that's more of my adult challenge when I'm hangry. That's when I'm not feeling so resilient.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm raising hangry children. It's a choice.
1: (laughs) But you know, seriously, when I think about my children throughout their lives, if I can impart one skill I want them to have deep in their bones for the rest of their lives, it is resilience. So I've wanted to know, what do we need to do to raise a resilient Kid, and do we step in or step back in certain cases? We'll do our best to answer that question. I am so excited for our expert today to talk about this really important topic of resilience in children. It's probably someone you least expect. Unless you expect a former CIA analyst who realized that this work as a spy prepared her for parenting. Her writing has been featured in outlets like The Washington Post, Parents Magazine, and Working Mother. She's also the author of the book Licensed to Parent, How My Career as a Spy Helped Me Raise Resourceful self-sufficient kids. Christina, thank you so much for being with us. Hi, Lynn. Thanks so much for having me. So what does this really look like? What are we trying to instill in our children so that they can become resilient and self-sufficient adults? Well, I think so much of teaching kids resilience is about
3: teaching them how to fail so that they can learn that when things don't go how they expect and they don't win at something or they aren't able to do something as well as they had hoped, that they're willing to try again. And with that comes the ability to be adaptable to your surroundings. We want our kids to have this ability to think critically and improvise when things don't go their way.
1: I feel like when I hear you describe all of this, this is how I imagine life as a spy, right? Like you never know how anything's gonna go. You always expect probably the worst and you can adapt to any situation. Tell me a little bit about how that background prepared you for parenting. It's true. You know, at the
3: CIA, they actually do use failure and training to prepare you for the worst case scenario so that you're really prepared for whatever you encounter when you're out in the field collecting intelligence or, you know, on some sort of operation. And so you really do have to be prepared for all of the things that you're going to encounter. And so the CIA really does set up some of its training knowing that someone's going to fail because they know that you're going to learn from that. And anything you encounter when you're actually in the field is going to be much easier
1: I feel like all of us could use that we struggle with failure even in parenting we struggle when we feel like we've failed in that way how is it different for children when they experience failure versus us Well, it's funny you mentioned we need that skill as adults because I do like
3: to say that so many of the skills that we've adapted from the CIA, my husband was there as well, and we can model it for our kids. We can teach them about resiliency by showing them that, you know, we try things that we aren't great at. You know, I love to tell the story of when I learned how to wake surf behind the boat a couple summers ago and I was terrible. And when I say I learned, I I don't know, that's probably a stretch. It took me all summer just to be able to stand up. And that was really difficult, especially for my teenagers. So I've got five. Five kids. They range from age three all the way to 19. And it was really difficult for the teenagers to watch me fall over and over again. And, and I think it took them a while to really appreciate the lesson, which was sometimes in life, you're not going to be great at things and we don't give up and they don't always come easy. And so, you know, it may have taken the whole summer, but I was able to finally do it at the end. And so there are so many ways that we can model this
1: behavior for our kids You mentioned that your husband was also at the agency. And I thought it was so interesting that part of what shaped you as a parent was watching what he did tell me a little bit about that. When I met my husband, we were on the
3: same field tour at the CIA and he was a single dad with three kids. And I think because I was so impressed from the get-go, I could already tell that he was an incredible father. And I noticed that he was giving his kids a lot of autonomy. They were just very well-rounded and independent kids. And when you come in as a step-parent, there really is a lot of trust building that occurs with your new stepchildren. And so I really was deferring to him as, I was building these relationships and so there were some things I saw that I thought okay maybe I'll do that maybe I'll do things differently and then when we had a baby together that was where the rubber met the road I actually experienced postpartum anxiety and I realized that I really needed to find a way to parent from a place of strength instead of a place of fear and it was coming back to a lot of these principles that Ryan and I had both learned at the CIA things that he was already implementing with his kids. How do you do that? One of the things we do, you know, my son, when he was learning to ride his bike and if he wasn't doing well, he would get so frustrated and he wouldn't want to try again until he was sure he could do it. And I really thought that this was a trait of his personality. I just thought, oh, he's just cautious. My husband actually picked up on the fact that my son was picking up on my anxiety and then doubting his own abilities because of it. For example, my husband would tell my son that he could do something at the playground and he would immediately look to me to see if I approved. And even if I said yes, he would know by the look on my face if I didn't want to To do it. And so he was sensing that. So the way I've changed some of that phrasing is telling him if it's something I feel too anxious for him to even do, I'll say, Well, we'll come back later when daddy's with us. Or if he falls on the bike, I say, no big deal. You fall off. We try again. But we always try to end things on a high note. I think as parents, sometimes we want to just leave if our kid falls, you know, and scrapes their knee at the park. You know, our our inclination is to go get the emergency kit from the car and bandage them up and let's go, right? Because they're crying. They don't want. I get back on the bike. But I insist that they do, and we will not leave until they do it again because I want them to learn that resiliency of getting back on again, but we want to leave on a high note. And so we'll even say when they fall, sometimes we'll even say, oh, that was a great job catching yourself. Wow, how did you do that? You, know, you really caught yourself when you fell. And so it's really about reframing
1: that in a positive way and ending on a positive note. Let's talk more about these moments. We want to jump in. We want to just handle it. But what... Should should we be looking for to know whether or not we should step back or intervene because they're getting frustrated, they're annoyed, and it would just be easier if we did it for them?
3: Well, first of all, we want to think of our kids individually, and we want to think about what their needs are and what lesson needs to be learned in this moment. And so, we all, of course, know you know each of our kids has their own limits. And so, if they are reaching a level of frustration that you do need to become involved and take over, then by all means, that's the lesson that needs to be learned in that moment, right? It might not be the right moment to let them learn how to do it themselves because we also don't want them to be beyond the brink and not able to come back. And so, it's reading them and in that. Regard, and if you do feel like they're not too frustrated, and you do have an ability to really let them do this, and you have a few moments, you don't need to rush out of the house. You can say things like, "Oh, hey, I see you're trying to zip your coat. I love that you're learning how to do that. Did you try holding one side of it while you pull the other side up? Or here, let me try to hold this down for you a little bit while you pull it up, and really giving them that positive reinforcement. Then when they are able to do it, that they're they can be really proud of that. Oh, is that something you've been working on at school? Oh, I'm. so proud of you. It's so great to see you doing that all by yourself. And then they are going to feel great about putting that work in. And really, you'll start to see that the frustration, I know I've noticed this with my son who's in pre-K right now, It goes down over time, and they are still struggling, but there's less frustration because they know that they've done it before. And so you can see it in their face, that concentration. They know they've done it before, and they know they can do it again. It might just take a few moments. And so being patient with them and being supportive
1: and cheering them on so that they can be proud of this new milestone. What can we do as parents when something is driving us crazy, but we know we need to step back and let them figure it out? Well, I think it's so important in that moment to recognize what's
3: happening, that they are trying to do something themselves and not stepping in. And we can really tell ourselves in our head, you know, they can do this. They're doing it. I'm going to let them try. I'm not going to step in and really reminding ourselves of that. And it can be difficult. You know, my son was trying to zip his coat in the school drop-off line and there are cars behind you. And, and you're really having to weigh like, you know, okay, I want my kid to learn this skill. I know the line is being held up, but just reassuring yourself—it's okay. He's going to get it. I'm going to give him the room to do this because I know he can do it. When our kids pick up on this narrative that we believe in them and they really feel that from us, it gives them an ability to trust their gut and learn what that really means to trust their gut because they know that they have an ability to do these things when we support them and give them that positive reassurance and that patience to accomplish the things that we know they can accomplish.
1: I love that you describe it not as watching our children fail, but showing them how to fail. It's much more supportive
3: in that way. Yeah, I mean, we're in it with them. And it's kind of finding that right balance of, you know, when we're watching them struggle at something, knowing not necessarily when to step in, but how to step in and reading their response and so that you're becoming a part of the solution. I learned at a young age that I didn't want to do things I wasn't good at. I didn't want to fail. And that carried over with me well into adulthood. You know, I want our kids not just to learn this when they're young, but I want them to know that we can be learning new things at any age, like mommy, you know, she's picking up <laughs> new things, right? We want to find things that we can try doing so that we're teaching them that lesson. And we want to give them those opportunities to try them, even when they're not great at them, so that they realize that life isn't always going to be easy and we sometimes have to work for things. But it's not about being a rock star or being a failure. We can be somewhere in between and we can become very well-rounded and interesting people as a result of it.
1: What's harder, parenting or being a CIA agent? (laughs) parenting
3: by leaps and (laughs) bounds. Oh my goodness. People do ask me this and they're always surprised. But being a parent, I mean, it's so challenging. Mm -hmm. We have to learn to pivot. We have to learn to be resilient as parents. We need to give ourselves grace when we're not perfect because we won't be. But I do think that what we see on social media, these perfectly curated images gives us Mm -hmm. the impression that there is some sort of level of perfection that we can reach as parents. And that's simply not reality. I do like to tell parents that if they're listening to podcasts like this and or reading parenting books that tells me that they're doing something right and
1: they're you know trying to be the best that they can for themselves and for their kids I couldn't agree more Christina what incredible advice I will be following it uh, to the T because it's something that our kids really need it's a gift to them the gift of resilience thank you So many takeaways. Something I thought really was powerful in this is that she wasn't just saying, listen, go fail, go cry, and I'm (laughs) going to sit here with my arms crossed to be like, see, tough it out. This is showing your kid's how to fail, giving them the skills, just like we do in everything else in parenting. We're trying to show them the path to success through failure. This is a process. This is a conversation you constantly have so that our kids develop that gut instinct. They develop the confidence to have and trust their own gut.
2: Also, failing in front of our kids, I feel like, is mm-hmm. good and being the example. Um, and the uh, a situation that jumps to my mind is I was cooking dinner for my kids and my sister's kids, and I overcooked the broccoli and I knew it. I knew it. I did, had overdone <laughs> it. I served it anyway. And my, uh, my nephew was like, What's wrong with this broccoli? What's going on with it? I was like, Let me be honest, it's overcooked. I, and he's like, Do I have to eat this? And I was like, You know what? It's my mistake. You don't have to eat this. But next time, It's gonna be perfect.
1: I just love that example of like admitting you're wrong because you've got to show your kids that you're able to do it yourself.
2: I know it's mushy and uh, too much butter to try to cover up my mistake, but I admit I'm coming clean. The broccoli's overcooked. Let's move on as a people
1: what does resilience really look like? Well, if you hear the story of Jacqueline Chen and her son Elliot, it looks like enthusiasm, determination, and perseverance, no matter what the circumstances are. Here's our correspondent fleece with the parenting
4: story of the day. Jacqueline's son, Elliot, has cerebral palsy, a common childhood
5: disability. Everyone with cerebral palsy is impacted differently. Some are milder, some are more severe, and some people with CP move around in wheelchairs. And some, like Elliot, are actually able to run and walk and are fairly independent. But his gait and his movements are affected in in some way.
4: He enjoyed playing with other kids on the playground. His
5: energy and enthusiasm outweighed the physical challenges. When kids select teams, he's never the last child because they know they're going to have a lot of fun with him. He's going to try his best no matter what. In fact, when Jacqueline went to a parent meeting at school,
4: she expected that the gym teacher was going to give her bad news, maybe that he was falling a lot. But what
5: she heard surprised her. She said, when kids choose kids to be on the team, they always choose him because he always tries his best and he always has a smile on his face. I still remember the time when his PE teacher told me that and I I just wanted to cry. They could see Elliot's desire to do his best in his love of soccer. He's always loved soccer. He knows all the stats and everything. And he had started playing soccer when he was about five. And the coaches were extremely accepting of him. He tries very hard. He loves the game. He just loves to be in the action. Then, Elliot faced a difficult challenge. When he got to uh, around fourth grade, all his friends were trying out for travel teams. And he was just not part of it. Which school would want you to be in their school team when you're not going to be scoring goals or helping to score goals? And he really felt alone. And he went from a really happy child to someone who was very withdrawn. He wouldn't go to the playground. So that year was particularly tough for him. He talked to one of his teachers who shared with Jacqueline what was going on. She and Elliot figured out the next step. We had a long chat. He approached his gym teacher and he said, hey, look, you know, I've been trying all these years. PE is my favorite subject at school. And I want to be doing something. My friends are coming back from the school bus after a game and they're like bonding and they're having a great time. But I'm not part of it. I really feel left out. And his teacher was just so fantastic. He said, oh, I actually thought you didn't want to be part of the team and that's why you didn't try out. But we have ABC teams and something else you could do maybe next year was to try out to be an assistant coach for the younger kids.
4: Elliot accepted He assistant coached the younger kids and played for the C team. It did elevate his confidence,
5: but he knew he wanted to have a greater influence on the game. One thing that I think other kids with disabilities don't like is when people give you pity points. This is like a language that the CP community sometimes use. It's like, I want to do this for myself. I'm not asking you to make concessions for me so that I can score a goal. I want to score that goal with my own abilities. Elliot was not about to give up. He had an idea. So when we moved to New York, he said, Mom, is there a way we can do soccer with kids with CP? He was actually researching, even at age 11, that they have these CP football teams in the UK. And he says, maybe they have it in the US. They found out the Cerebral Palsy Foundation was having a march, so they went. Elliot told them, oh, you know, I love soccer, what can I do? And they put us in touch with the founders of CP Soccer. We hit it off and we went to one of the practices. The first practice was really life-changing for him. And he always talks about that first practice. When he got there, one of the teenagers, he just walked up to us and he said, hey, you must be Elliot, come join in. Elliot joined in and he felt that, wow, I can really kick a ball and I can really make a difference. In a game like this, when everyone else is like me, I can really make a difference. I cannot forget, like, on our way back, like, he was just so joyful and so energetic. Travel took about two hours. It was tough, but they persevered and went every week. Then Jacqueline got a phone call. The founders called me and they said, hey, I can really see the enthusiasm in your son. Do you want to start a chapter in New York? And then I said, yeah, you know, I thought you were never going to ask. Jacqueline runs the New York chapter and operations for the
4: national program. She works among other volunteers who are passionate about it. It's been great for her to connect to other parents of children with CP as Elliot also finds deeper
5: connections of his own. He's been to a couple of the overnight sleepaway camps at CP Soccer, and one great thing has been to see how the other kids tackle their own challenges. I mean, everyone has their own different cha- challenges. He actually came back and he said, I never knew so much about CP until I came to this camp. They really felt that they learned so much about each other and about themselves. And really, these are going to be people who are going to be friends with him for the rest of his life. It's such a wonderful thing for myself as, well, to be able to see how other kids tackle their issues, seeing how happy they are, and to be able to talk to other parents when I go through issues as well. Every child goes through their challenges at every stage in life. Same with kids with CP. So it's really great to be able to share with these parents. And what has Jacqueline's approach been? I feel that the way that we've really tried to overcome a lot of challenges is to really remind ourselves that. It's not a pressure for him to conform, it's not a pressure for him to be normal or neurotypical because nothing is normal. One thing that I really have tried with him over the years is to just be open in trying, be open in having the guts to try. You don't even have to be the best goal scorer in the world or I'm not even asking you to try to debunk the myths about CP or I'm not asking you to try and win a fight. Because having CP or having any condition is not about fighting. It's about how you live with it in a positive way. Trying is to just open up your chances and experiences for yourself. So you get to gain. But the byproduct is a lot of people can see that you've tried your best. You can be trying new foods, you can be trying sports, you can be trying activities and you might fail or you might not like it, but that's fine. You can say you've tried it before. Now that's actually one of his mottos is to try everything at least once. And I think that garners a lot of respect from other people as well. And I mean, I respect him for it because I know that I don't, I don't necessarily try everything, you know. but I think if you do, a lot of people respect you for that. They were about to see that all come into play when Elliot started a new school. He was very apprehensive about wearing his orthotics, and then full on, they go up to the knees on both legs. And there were a few kids who looked and didn't say anything. And then there were a few kids who did say, hey, Elliot, um, why do you need to wear those? And he came back home and he said, you know, I actually really appreciate them asking me that. It was the weekend before October 6th, World CP Day. Elliot
4: wanted to do more and reach out to all of the students. Using his motto, he decided
5: to give something a try. He sent an email to everyone in the school. He asked everyone to wear green in support of cerebral palsy. So he began the message by saying, hey, you know, did you know that like 17 million people in this world have CP and I'm one of them and I'm actually one of the first people in this school to have CP and I'm really grateful to be in this school that celebrates this diversity. Come and join me in wearing green that day. And if you have any questions, just come and ask me.
4: Elliot figured if no one was interested, he'd just be the only one
5: wearing green. But turns out, he was far from the only one. He got two-thirds of the people in his school to wear green, including the principal who was in a green suit with a green tie. Imagine he actually had that in his wardrobe. And So many people came up to him and said, Elliot, I really appreciate what you're doing. I wouldn't have known what CP was, but really hoping to learn more. He just feels so pumped up now. He's already planning what he's going to do next year. Justin, amazing
1: that she had this strategy. That she encouraged him to try new things.
2: Yeah, and to have um, a kid really take that in and and say, mm-hmm. "What can I do?" Throughout the process, just like continuing to sort of expand, 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 and give that opportunity to other people, which I think is so. That's such a great second step of of the of what can I do and being encouraged to do something like that.
1: Ginger Z is a scientist, the chief meteorologist for ABC News, a mental health advocate, and a mom of two boys. You've seen her on Dancing with the Stars and on the New York Times bestseller list for her first book, Natural Disaster. Well, now she's back with a brand new book. Ginger, thank you so much for being on. What an incredible second book that we're going to get into. But I just want to start first a little bit with your background and what drew you to this field, this science field feel mm-hmm. this, you know, I, I know you're so adamant. Don't ever call me a weather girl. And You take to
0: Twitter, Honor, and I love it.
1: <laughs> but what took you to this this career?
0: Well, thank you so much. It's so good to hear your voice, Lynn. I know we have known each other for a long time, and I'm so <laughs> blessed to know you, but also to be able to answer this question because I am living my dream. I started as a normal kid, I would say, but then I remember a summer spent on Lake Michigan. And that is where I saw thunderstorms openly for the first time. You know, like we can hear thunder, but we're usually in our house or we're around so many buildings or trees that we don't necessarily see the form of a thunderstorm, of a cumulonimbus, which I didn't even know that's what Mm. it was called back then. But (laughs) I watched those thunderstorms come across the lake one summer every week. And I had so many questions. Here I was, an eight-year-old, and I I would see them. Sometimes they'd bring us 60-mile-per-hour winds. Other times it would be like the rain didn't make it to us. And I I had such questions about the puzzle that I was seeing out there over the lake. And so that's where the science love of the atmosphere began. And after, I remember very vividly running back to third grade, and we had encyclopedias. So anybody listening that is not of age, an encyclopedia (laughs) is like Google a bunch of books and i ran in there and i would just grab the weather sections the tornado the hurricane i just couldn't get enough and so that's when i knew that i wanted so badly to do something with weather i just i didn't see that as a job and i was very shy so i didn't i saw people on tv talking about weather but i didn't think that that would be the job for me and it really wasn't until i saw the movie twister that i had an image of what i wanted to be so yes helen hunt in twister (laughs) (laughs) albeit the worst science in that movie ever, (laughs) accuracy-wise, she and that movie inspired me to want to chase storms. And that's what I went to college for, was to storm chase.
1: You know, you mentioned we've known each other for a long time, a dear friend who I've always respected so much because of not just your career and chasing these storms, these natural disasters, but what you share in your first book about Being a Natural Disaster Yourself, Mm. how you picked up the pieces. Take us through this first book, how hard it was to write about your mental health struggles, especially being this bubbly personality on TV. Mm. I mean, you were paid to show up every day and be happy.
0: The first book was horribly hard. I didn't intend to write it, which was first problem. I went to write a baby book about weather. I did not <laughs> see myself as a writer. I had told myself for a very long time I wasn't a writer. I loved science and math, and that's what I kind of dove into and dug into and labeled myself. And it was wrong. So I went and wrote a couple chapters. They liked it. And then as I was describing how I would develop the the character, for which now are my children's books, um, Chasing helicity, I started telling stories about my real life. I started talking about a marriage that I ended up running away from, and meaning the wedding. I didn't even get married. <laughs> I, ran, I was a runaway bride weeks before the wedding. And then I started talking about some of the other traumas in my life. And the editor at that time was like, you realize that's the book. And as I started writing, I started healing. But it hurt. And healing is hard. And it was really hard to share that because I am the executive level people pleaser. And this book, mm-hmm. the first one, was telling people, my secrets. And it was telling people that I went to the hospital to get my mental health right. And at Mm -hmm. that moment, that was a very hard thing to do. Now, Mm -hmm. years later, after I see how many people this has helped, after I realize how big of a deal it wasn't, (laughs) I mean, it was in the moment, but how it's just a part of my story. And I'm so proud of that story. uh, Mm -hmm. It's the best thing. And so it was hard to write, but boy, am I grateful that I got to write it. And
1: how many lives you've changed. you now become this mental health advocate. You speak to many families who have lost family members mm-hmm. from suicide because you are really real about your own struggles in that regard. To know your two boys were really going to see this side of you that's,
0: that's different than the lovely, wonderful, <laughs> huggable mom that you are. If everybody should see it. They should see it. They should be the mm. ones that know everything. You know. I, again, I don't think everybody needs to run around and tell everybody their deepest, darkest secrets. Our children don't need to know all of the things we've tried and done because I don't know if that mm. is, is exactly what they need as a model necessarily. But I do think more openness is necessary. And I'm so excited for when they are ready to read this to be able to see that a woman they love deeply, can be faulted and is faulted because I think that's going to give them a much better setup for whoever their partner becomes, whoever their children become. Our expectations of ourselves and of others needs to be looked at as a society. And they can also see how much you've
1: grown from it and maybe understand their own struggles because everybody has them. Mm -hmm. In this pandemic, we've all gone into new realms of where we're struggling and wanting to put on that brave face for our kids. What advice do you have about how to open up age-appropriate
0: appropriateness and how mm-hmm. to be real with your children? Well, from day one, I think modeling imperfection is the right thing to do. I think mo- modeling that it is okay to make mistakes, at least you know, for my six-year-old who is already well on his way to being a perfectionist <laughs> and uh, people pleaser, <laughs> I think it's really important for them to see that That life isn't all rainbows. Also, think it's really important to introduce the idea that even though you can't see someone being sick, doesn't mean that they aren't sick, and it also doesn't mean that they can't get better. I had my son come up to me last summer, and he said, "Mommy, what's what's wrong?" And I said exactly what was wrong: "I'm sick today," and that's what was wrong. I think that was age appropriate for a five-year-old at the time, is just saying, "I'm not well today, but I'm going to do hard work, and I'm going to go to the doctor, and I'm going to talk to people, and I'm going to make this as." best I can, just like you would with anything else. And this
1: new book, if you went there in your first book, <laughs> Natural Disaster, a little closer to home, leaps over the fence and mm. dives in, it feels like. And if this
0: first book was hard, what was the second book like writing? The second book was Freedom. You know, and I think that's where freedom and, and realization of how this is not a one and done. I have to work through it. And that's what I wrote the book about.
1: And it feels like as a parent, that's the last thing that falls on our list. Yeah. What do you say to those people who, who don't have the time, don't have the money? I mean, it takes an investment mm-hmm. into your mental health. How do you carve that
0: out to make yourself a better parent? Right. And that's to make yourself a better parent, partner, uh, person within your career, whatever it is that you're trying to be the best at. I think the most responsible and respectable thing is to just work on it. You know, put the energy and time like I said, if if societally we could take what we do on New Year's Day about physical health, about wellness in our body and our nutrition, and if we could take that energy, time, money spent and throw it over into our brain and our mental health, it'd be pretty spectacular to see what happens.
1: Ah, oh, Ginger, you're wonderful as always.
0: Thank you for opening up in the way that you have to
1: allow others in and heal along with you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. All right, you stuck around, and we have a huge giveaway today. We're giving away $250 Munchkin gift cards. The first two people to use the code SPYMOM at munchkin.com will get $250 off your purchase. That's SPYMOM, one word, no spaces. You better hurry. That's the show today. Thank you so much for taking the wild ride with us. And thanks to our guests, Ginger Z, Christina Hillsberg, and Jacqueline Chen. And as always, thank you to you for listening. And thanks to Munchkin. No wonder they're the most loved baby brand in the world. You can find all your favorite Munchkin products at Target.
2: Kaylin, two quick things. One, I just want to remind everyone about our other podcast for kids called Stroller Coaster Storytime. And two, don't miss next week's episode. We interview Sean T.
1: Oh, my gosh. A huge powerhouse with his fitness program, Insanity, but also a dad to two adorable boys. And his insight into parenting is something you do not want to miss. Check it out next week. Now something every parent can use and certainly deserves. A timeout for you. Munchkin loves our planet and cares so much about animals, partnering with IFA, the International Fund for Animal Welfare. So for today's audio moment of calm, please enjoy a baby elephant and his dad strolling together. Enjoy relaxing, and we'll see you next time on Stroller Coaster.